I'm your host, Tyler Sanders, and I'm in the room with Gateway Professors, Dr. Greg Watson, Dr. Paul Kelly. Dr. Watson is our Old Testament dude. And I think we have a new nickname for Paul Kelly, Edubro, <laughs> Education Bro. I think Edubro is better. Edubro. This good. is uh, in this podcast, what we talk about is teaching the Bible well. So we always hit a topic, and then we hit a passage of scripture, and then we apply that to a teaching context. That's a surprise because we spin a wheel to figure out what that teaching context is going to be. Dr. Kelly, can you tell us what our topic is today? Well, yeah. You know, I, I, I think I, early on in my teaching experience, um, I, I tended to approach every passage of Scripture sort of the same, you mm. know, that I was looking for the points that I could that I could teach out of it or something like that. And uh, as you look into history, into books of history, that can be okay to do, but it's not really going to get you there. When you look into the Gospels, it's sort of different, you know, in terms of looking at those. But the thing that really struck me that I've really had to work through in my life is, is what you do with poetry. Mm. Uh, poetry is just different in terms of a genre. And the way that we teach it ought to be different. I, I think the things that, uh, that Greg and I have been thinking about um, related to this podcast have to do with how sometimes poetry speaks with such a human voice that it's almost uncomfortable to see this as being from the Word of God. Oh. That, that, that sometimes um, when we're reading the Psalms, for example, you know, that, they, that they're speaking in a way that is so human, that, that, that's so much out of our experience that we kind of wonder if there's propositional truth that we ought to be able to find in it at all. Hmm. Now, of course, the Bible is all true and it's all for our benefit, but teaching a psalm, especially a psalm that sort of speaks with that kind of human voice, seems like to me that it's a whole different kind of thing than most of the ways that we teach. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, narrative, I guess the way to put it, it, narrative is basically stringing together a series of facts, observations that that are, uh, you know, and, and so God did this. Abraham did this, and you know, and there's this sequence there, and it's just kind of factual statement. Poetry is not. Po poetry um, tends not to use straightforward kind of language. It uses very emotive language. Mm. It uses symbolism and imagery like crazy. And probably one of the more major characteristics is it really uses a lot of hyperbole. It mm, overstates. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. And it's 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 done in order to evoke a response. And I think one of the things that that uh Edubro and myself are, <laughs> are are kind of dealing with on this is that um we we want to find the same kind of Basic statement and straightforward statements of theological truth, how God acts, what God does, in poetry that we in the same way we find them in narrative. Yeah, and it's not the same. Right. Yeah. Right. If you do that, you start getting in trouble because the the overstatement factor will lead you in places that. Really, so yeah, it's 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 an interesting quandary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think that a lot of it too has to do with sort of the way some folks want to approach teaching. That my class 
always looks like this. So it's mm. like whatever. Yeah, there's I, a format or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I've, I've, preachers do that too. You know, they sort yeah, of yeah. develop their format where they want to. Sure. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, I want to teach this way. This is going to always be my outline, and I'm going to just fill in the gaps yeah. in terms of the passage that I'm using. And and I think in in teaching we can do that. You know, okay, well I'm going to I'm going to teach this passage this way because that's the way I always teach. And the challenge for us when we get into different kinds of literature in the Bible is that we really need to be doing different kinds of things. I think that that book that you wrote with Wilson, one of the things that you guys talked about, Greg, was uh, uh, was how the text ought to drive not just the content of my lesson, but even the structure the of my lesson. The form of it. Yeah. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty Im- impressive statement. Right. I always, I, I really do believe that we need to have a sensitivity to structure. I look, this takes you back to, to English, you know, your English classes, high school, English 101 in college, uh, English lit and those sorts of things. But we really, we, we really have to learn that um, much like an outline, especially a poem, is going to have sections that are devoted to certain statements or assertions. And you can't just treat them as if they're all saying this, all the all the lines are saying the same exact right. thing, or that they're all saying something different. Right. You've got to figure out where they hold together and what together they're trying to say. Does that does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And 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 I and I think too that in looking at a passage of scripture that starts to talk about really human kinds of reactions, you know, that, mm. that, that when you're, you're reading a poem that, that's just visceral, you know, that sort of deals with the, the sense of, of disconnection or loss or hopelessness that, that I think is very human but gosh, it's uncomfortable when you start seeing that in scripture, you know, that yeah. you start seeing that as what God is saying to us on some level, that that, that these things are there. And and I, I think, you know, what we want is, you know, how do we move out of those kinds of things? Right. But the Psalms seem to just, at least in some cases, when we get into these laments, that the psalmist seems to just want to leave us there and let us experience those, those kind of feelings. Gosh, that's... That's not the kind of Bible study I usually right. like to get into. Right. Yeah. Well, we don't, you know, when we look at when we look at a psalm, uh, one of the things that really sets it apart, besides the fact that it's poetry, one of the things that really set these apart is, you know, a narrative or prophetic, even prophetic poetry and those sorts of things, those tend to be God's revelation and God's words to mankind, mm-hmm. right? When you get into Psalms or when you get into something like uh, the book of Lamentations, you've got something that's actually a human expression back to God. Yeah. So we ought to expect a far more emotive and deeper, more visceral kind of presentation. I, I love that you've you focused in on this as a, yeah. as a distinction. Well, I have to tell you, I was actually an English major in college, and I took a crazy amount of poetry classes pursuing that major. And one of the things that I learned really quickly in it, as an English major, um, or, or I think I think one of the things that I was surprised by was that my perception before college was that poetry was kind of uh, choose your own adventure. Mm. Any interpretation is valid, and I do think in probably a lot of more secular kind of schools. I mean, I went to a secular school, school uh, for college. You know, there was kind of a, a openness in your interpretation. But even there, they were pretty 
hard and like, no, there is a meaning here. Like this poetry is crafted. It's it's put together very particularly and there is meaning. You can't just take anything. It doesn't mean anything. There's You may have to wrestle with it a little bit or really pay attention to, to details of how these things come together. But there's something very particular that may be even harder to communicate in straight prose. Mm. Uh, but in, in poetry, there is a very, very sharp meaning usually. Mm-hmm. I think that's true for Hebrew poetry too. Absolutely. Uh, one of the distinctions, you know, we, we'll talk about all these different places that poetry occurs. I mean, there's poetry in the narrative books. Um, the book of, uh, of Jonah is largely right. a narrative sure, yeah, yeah. among other books that are largely poetry. But when you look at prophetic, you know, prophetic works at large, they're poetic, um, but they come out of a specific historical context. Mm. It's, it's poetry that's being addressed to particular people. Uh, God's trying to got a com- particular message to communicate to them. So you've got a pretty secure place to start working out the imagery and stuff. Um, Psalms, because of their nature, is more coming out of these individual things. They're timeless. Mm-hmm. They weren't. They weren't yeah. intended to be. Yeah. And right. Yeah. Which is not to say that there's not context. You right. know that there, there sure, are times yeah. when you know as the Psalms are written that there's context to them, and that sometimes I think it's really helpful to sort of get a sense of what the background and the context is. But but they mm-hmm. they really are sort of written to be celebrated and sung and 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 that's that's pretty or wept over <laughs> or wept over yeah, yeah. sure yeah 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 now another thing uh a word i used earlier um was crafted and i want to mm. be careful in kind of saying that specific word because that's really the word i mean but uh and i guess that's kind of a little bit ironic for what i'm about to say but poetry uh of course in the you know English tradition and probably way before that too, I'm sure you're going to tell me, uh, it's very very crafted. And the idea is every word holds a lot of weight. It's about cutting down to make it um, kind of as dense as possible mm-hmm. and have as much meaning as possible and be as to be as precise as possible, even if it's a metaphorical type of which is as few words as possible. Yeah, yeah, right, right. And and then of course there's also you know the structure around it too of like. Right rhythm and, you know, rhyme, all these kind of pieces. What kind of elements do we see in poetry in the Bible that are like that? Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that, that, that I, I, we talk about is, is how in uh, English poetry, we tend to rhyme words. I mean, not all yeah, poetry yeah. is like that, but that's the tendency is that we rhyme words yeah. and that it's the rhyme that sort of does that. Well, there is a sense of rhyme, I think, in Hebrew poetry, but it's not a rhyming of words as much as a rhyming of ideas mm. that, uh, that rather than, um, you know, having similar words that are repeated, that, that, that we repeat similar concepts for yeah. emphasis and, and to try to, to try to deepen the image. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that the Hebrew ear was more, or the Jewish ear was more attuned to sort of hearing that rhyme of ideas, those, those yeah. ways of layering ideas, as opposed to, uh, as opposed to, to us being, you know, more interested in hearing like a limerick wherever you Yeah. Can. Well, and that's They're, an interesting, I think that's an interesting challenge in reading translated Poetry, mm-hmm. and also from uh, a very long time ago. But yeah, I think like an American ear is very used to when you hear like the rhyme and the kind of that specific, you know, rhythm. You're like, okay, I know I'm listening to, I need to understand this differently. Right. Like I'm, I'm kind of clued in because of how it sounds. 
And we don't always catch that, even though it, like what you just said, like those parallel thoughts, that's like anytime you're reading Psalms, you see it all the time. And I think as an American reader, I look at him like, why did he just say that? He just said the exact same thing twice yeah. like with different words. And it strikes me as odd instead of like a clue, like, yeah. duh, like this is poetic, you know? Or even worse that we find a, a tiny difference between the way he says it the first time and the oh. second time. So the first one is one, one uh, point and the second one is a different point. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> or, or in some people's minds, it, Totally eliminates any credibility this text was. If it was, if it was really God's word, they'd be exactly the right, same way, right? <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, uh, what what kind of text are we looking at today? Well, you know, we really I wanted to look at just one of the Psalms of lament, and uh, so we're going to look at. At uh, Psalm 13, mm. um, I, I'm just you know the imagery is just so rich in here, but it's a hard psalm. I think it's it, it, it's hard to teach. Um, psalm 13 says, "How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day?" How long shall my enemies, my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mm. the enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Hmm. We, we, we get this really beautiful sort of moment at the end, right? Mm -hmm. where, where it's like, despite all these things that I'm feeling, that I still can trust God. I still can sing to him. I still can go to him. And I think that's important. But I'm afraid that when we teach Psalms like this, or when we teach a passage like this, it's so easy to sort of skip past the pain hmm. in order to get to the, yeah, but here's who God is. And, and honestly, I mean, when we start reading this passage and it says, you know, um, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? I mean, are we really trying to say that God is a God who hides? God is a God yeah, who's yeah. distant? God is a God who's right. not present, who doesn't want to connect with us? And, and, and I think... That's, that's not trying to tell us that this is the theological truth here. That's not what this is trying to tell us. I think what it's trying to, trying to help us to get is this sense that we have these moments as human beings where our lives just feel disconnected and mm, yeah. broken mm. and distant from God. And acknowledging that that's true, acknowledging that we have those moments where we feel that sense of lostness, even if we're saved, that we have that sense of lostness. It just seems like to me that this text is sort of giving us the opportunity to, to as you said, Greg, to, to weep over the fact that we have this in our human condition. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm always fascinated uh, Christians will will go to all sorts of lengths to say that there's nothing bad described about the Christian life. Mm. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll go out of the way and say, "Well, this this is kind of a negative view of life." Well, no, no, the Bible, you know, the the temporal the the typical thing is, "No, the Bible that's that's not something the Bible would do." Mm. Absolutely, it is. Yeah. None of the characters in the Bible, the only perfect character in the Bible is Jesus, 
maybe Joshua, Jeremiah, may, you know, there may be a few guys we can point out that were really pretty solid characters. Um, Job was righteous, you know, even at the end of the book. But um, you know, this is, think of, we, we tend to think that, no, God's people ought not suffer. Yeah. Well, the fact of the matter is, God's people do suffer. Right. Mm-hmm. And we are never told we're not going to suffer. But we are given the sense that, you know, there's a way, there's a better way to live through suffering. Yeah. And it's not just to be resentful about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think that, that when the Bible talks through this, this suffering, I mean, it, it, there is a theology of suffering in Christianity that, mm-hmm. that doesn't exist in an awful lot of religions. And it certainly doesn't exist in American culture outside of faith. You right. know, that, 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 you know, the average Californian doesn't, doesn't see himself <laughs> or herself as, you know, I'm getting something good by suffering. They, they tend right. to say suffering is what I avoid at all costs. Yeah. And, and I think that that's a, an important theme in Scripture, that, that God has purpose for our suffering. But I think sometimes, even in teaching that theologically, we sort of miss the fact that in the middle of suffering, I don't know what God is doing to perfect me. You know, I mean, James says rejoice in, in your suffering because God is going to produce good things from it. But but I don't think that we know what God is up to in the midst of our suffering, that he does seem hidden, that he does hmm. seem distant, that he does seem far away. And what the psalm seems to be saying is, I'm going to experience that. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm going to trust him but I think landing on the bulk of this, this passage being about the fact that I feel this sense of lostness, if I'm teaching that, I want people to get that and, and not yeah. just to hear it, but to get it, you know, to, to experience what it's like to have these moments where I'm like that, where I just can't seem to find God. Well, and, and I, I think there's a there's a tendency in the church, maybe particularly the particularly the American church, we like to try to offer comfort that's mm, a lot mm. of times very shallow. Mm, mm. Whenever suffering lasts a lot longer than a moment, many people suffer for years or, mm. you know, I mean, we all kind of go through periods. We all have losses. But in my my sense is that a passage like this speaks much more deeply to a person who is suffering than kind of uh, a pat answer of like, well, God has a plan and this is all going to be good. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I think that's true, <laughs> but it can be really hard to hear that when you're in the midst of suffering. Like, yeah, right. why would God make, this is the only way you can make something good come out of this. I have to go through this. But I think there's a reality you can connect to with this and understanding like, this is a part of life on this planet. Mm-hmm. You have... You also have this this sense that it's okay to get mad and shake your fist at God. Mm-hmm. That's something a lot of us really kind of object and kind of counter. But I want to point something out. Jeremiah did exactly what God told him to do. He's you know stood stood before his king. He got thrown in jail. Right. He got beat and stuff like that. Finally, he got to the point. He said, "I'm done." Mm-hmm. He said, "You know, you lied to me." He told God, "You lied to me." You said this and this, and all I've, I've become a laughingstock. I mean, everybody sees me coming, so here comes old calamity all around again. Right. Um, it says, I'm done. But much like these psalms here, and he just unloads, but much like it, he comes to point, and I, if I can get through this, I can, never, I can never talk about this without my voice breaking. Hmm. But he says, but 
I get to this point, God, and your word becomes a fire shut up in my bones, and I can't keep it in. Mm. Look at this psalm we just read. He's laying out his pain. He's laying out his suffering. And then in verses 5 and 6, he says, but I have trusted in your... And I'm going to use the Holman Christian Standard Bible Mm. translation. I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with Mm. me. Mm. Even in my suffering, I know that you love me. And I know you've not abandoned me. I can feel that way. Mm -hmm. And I can call you out on it. Mm. Right. But when it comes right down to brass tacks, I know, I know that you're there. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there may be a sense in which if I skip through the pain too quickly, that the assurance becomes becomes too shallow, you mm-hmm. know, yep. that it's only that I can really, really know that God is with me when I know the depth of pain. You know, I was, I was thinking about how... David just went through year after year after year after year of suffering in, you know, with Saul pursuing him and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, you know, I mean, David becomes the king that he is because he went through all of that persecution and difficulty and 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 threat of of his life, mm-hmm. you know, that went on and on and on, you know, as as Saul was king. But that the good stuff doesn't come about because he had a bad day. The good stuff comes about because of all of the stuff that God worked out during the years of yeah. pain and difficulty and running and suffering. And that in David spite had. of the bad stuff. Yeah. 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 Well, let me ask you a practical question. Mm. A practical question. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, I think there is a challenge of it would be easy to go straight to the good part when you're right. teaching this as a lesson, because I do think that's kind of the main idea. If you were to sum up this in one sentence, that would be a big part of it. Mm-hmm. So how do you build like a lesson plan that's not, this is the first point? How do you how do you build a lesson plan around poetry where you're landing on the main point? Yeah, yeah. I You know, I, I think sometimes finding those places where I've experienced things that are similar and being willing to tell the stories, you mm-hmm. know, and, and in some ways that makes you a little naked as a teacher, right? You know, if you're talking about some of the most painful experiences of your life, you know, I think of a year, a few years ago when I lost two people that were really significantly important to my life, mm-hmm. two of the most important people in my life within a matter of about six months of each other, you know, and talking through those kinds of losses, both, both of them died. That's what I meant. Yeah. Uh, uh, that talking through those experiences and helping people to see that I understand what the psalmist is talking about. We saying it was just hard to, it's hard to breathe, let alone trying to yeah. find God in the middle of all that, you mm-hmm. know? And, and I think maybe sometimes being willing to sort of talk about the, the, the dark night of the soul, you know, that, yeah. that we've experienced, um, giving people an opportunity to sort of reflect on those moments and, you know, praise God if they've never had to go through mm-hmm. anything like that. But my my guess is that all of human existence is going to involve pain and difficulty at some points for some yeah. people a lot more than other people, but that everybody is going to find these, these moments sure. where they can identify with, they can understand what the psalmist is talking about. You yeah. know, there, there's a lot of usage in this. Um, you know, will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? Um, 
There are there are a lot of there's a lot of background to those to those those statements, um, and there's a lot in ancient Israelite ideology and thought like that 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 you can explore. Um, look, we live in a world where we've got we've got people that that are still facing trauma from ethnic racial kinds mm-hmm. of things um, because of their gender, gender identity, whatever. And whether you agree, whatever side on those issues you stand on, people suffer yeah. for that. We've seen war in Ukraine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, families suffering and dying. I mean, you know, there, it's, suffering is universal. It's, it's part of the world we live in. But for the most part, the people that we're teaching only understand it in an extremely limited sense. They can see what's happening on TV in Israel and Palestine, mm. and they may be pro-Israel or pro-Palestine, so they have a hard time identifying with the suffering on the other side. Mm. Sure, right. And and yet at the same time, you know, they can look at their own life and they're upset because they didn't get their latte done with the yeah, right yeah, temperature yeah. today. <laughs> right. And, you know, so it's... Understanding what suffering is and what this language, will you forget me forever? You know, really, what is this and, and what are they tuning into? Um, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? What's that? You know, talk about the passage. Talk about these expressions of suffering and of, of frustration and, and, mm. and, and anger even. Mm-hmm. And then... You, you, you probably won't have to spend much time flipping the switch into verses five and six. Right. But. Yeah. Because the resolution, I mean, the tension builds through verse four. Yeah, yeah. And then the resolution is like, is like pulling the plug and, and it just, the tension yeah. drains. That's, that's such a good way to describe it because I think, you know, that, that's, that's almost a theatrical kind of description, yeah, you know, kind of because it's like, you know, when you're. Um, if you have a, a movie where you're you're trying to to get from some kind of a really big problem to a resolution, yeah. well, you want to build the tension to the point that the resolution means something, you yeah. know, or else it just doesn't become a very yeah, rich story, flat, you know. Yeah. And and maybe you know helping to unpack this uh, a psalm like this, uh, unpack this is. To do that, to let people sort of soak in the tension and experience a heightened tension as it goes along mm. uh, until you say, and, and then we move to the resolution. You know, finally, we have this sense of relief. I think, you know, and, and I think this is really important because I think if we move verse by verse through this and we start talking about this imagery and we started explaining in a way that draws people into it. Let me give you an example. I hope I hope you don't mind. I'm going to go back to Genesis 1. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want you to listen. The very first thing I do is, is going to be immediately your ears are going, to, are going to perk up when I say this. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now, immediately, what does that do? It draws your interest. You're like, what in the world? Right. But it immediately shifts the focus from the acts of creation onto the God who created, Mm -hmm. which I think is Hebrew, in terms of the biblical Hebrew, I think that's the point. I think that's the topic. Mm. Interestingly enough, that's the topic for the entire Bible, isn't it? What an appropriate place for it to be. So in the beginning, God was the creator of the heavens and the earth. And immediately, if you've got this heavens and the earth, and you've got this immediate shift from heavens and earth, everything, in verse 2, to just the earth. What's mm-hmm. the earth going to be? It's going to be the habitation of mankind. This is the mm-hmm. place we're going to co, co-rule yeah. with God or yeah. rule under God's mm-hmm. hand. Um, and so that initial statement, the earth was formless and void, you know, very, very descriptive. But then it switches to a verbless clause, darkness upon the surface of the deep. 
And then the, the next one is a participle in the Spirit of God hovering above the waters. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to substitute a couple. Of, I'm, I'm going to retrain. I'm going to walk through this, and I want you to listen to it. In the beginning, God created everything. Now, at some point, the earth was formless and void. In other words, it was uninhabitable and, and yeah. uh, had no, could not support life. Now, darkness is on the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be life. Do you hear the dramatic mm-hmm. thing there? And the text is written this way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we can if we can get to the point where instead of just doing this flat, lifeless readings of these mm-hmm. things, we can draw people into the pageantry of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at the appropriate moment, find that point where the narrative takes off or the narrative gets to its point. Mm-hmm. Oh, it really, it's, it's like a movie, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a great story. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, the, the Bible is much more than a story, but I, I feel like sometimes we, we make that word story a little bit like a negative kind mm-hmm. of thing. Uh, Cause that doesn't mean it isn't true or it didn't happen, but I think it's important to, to realize that this is, it's being told to us. Like we tell a story, like we, we form it, we fashion it to, inform someone and, and encourage them or surprise them or whatever it is we're trying to do. But we will say all the details specifically to elicit that mm. response or get what we need or, or get what we need to be understood to into that person's, mm. you know, mm. understanding or whatever. And that's that we shouldn't be afraid of that. Mm. That tension is good. We want people to find authority. We want people to find belief. We want to find we want them to find trustworthy. Then give them interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll give mm-hmm. them an investment in more than just, well, you know, Genesis 1 is about, you know, is about God created in six days and, you know, all the science and stuff doesn't matter. Well, that's not the point. Yeah. The point is God did it. Yeah. 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 We probably ought to really soon sort of go into one of these podcasts where we spend just the whole time talking about how you get ready to give people that kind of a ah. that kind of a response because it it you know reading scripture um, you, you described it as as reading it flat and then moving on you know that that really is what makes for boring Bible study yeah you know, it really is that 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 the Bible is not boring it's also not irrelevant to our lives. But it does take some work to try to get to the point where I have enough of a sense of, of excitement about what, what's unfolding. And, and, uh, and I've asked enough questions you know, of the text myself so that, that I get sort of a, uh, a multi-layered kind of understanding of what the Bible is, is doing and what it's talking about and, and that I'm able to teach with a different kind of acumen when when I when I have that kind of insight yeah. into the passage that I'm trying to deal with. And I, and I don't think, you know, I think that there's a tendency for us to want to like run to 101 commentaries and see mm-hmm. what everybody else says about it. And I don't actually think that's the best way to get there, but we probably ought to spend more time, you know, sort of digging into that idea. I love listening to Edgy Bro get started <laughs> when he's been reading because the questions <laughs> never stop. Yeah. And, and it's, it, it's awesome to hear because you know what, that's what every teacher needs to do. And that's what you need to convey to the people you're teaching, because teachers need to ask, be question askers more so even than question answerers. Yeah. 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 Which I I find that that's kind of where I mess up when I'm just reading the Bible on my own is I actually, 
I don't, I don't give myself space to let the questions I have like sit there. You know, I just kind of read it and I'm like, oh yeah, I know what happens yeah. in this one. Like Jesus is going to calm the storm. They're on the boat. It's kind of a weird story because he's asleep. Right. And like the storm comes and then he calms it down. And, and like, uh, I was talking about this with uh, one of our new Testament professors recently. And the end of that little narrative piece is they're like, who is this guy? And it doesn't give you the answer. And he's like, there's that tension point there on purpose, because as the reader, you're supposed to, it's set it up. Mm-hmm. You know what the answer is. Jesus is God. Yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. what we're supposed to get out of that. But I just go right past that right. question as though it's just one other, some other detail. Uh, the, you know, yeah. the crazy thing that happened there was the storms, yeah. you know, whatever. And I moved yeah. past it or whatever. And I, I skipped that moment of like, <sighs> yeah. it's like you're supposed to sit there for a second. Because here's yeah, someone yeah, saying like, yeah. I just saw something unbelievable. Right. Who right. is this? Yeah, and yeah. that's what the whole, you know, the gospels are trying to tell you anyways, yeah. who Jesus is. Yeah. I kind of love the fact that this is so unscripted because we never are quite sure where this is going to end up. <laughs> That's true, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, in an early one of the earlier podcasts, um, fairly recent, um, <laughs> we, we focused in on, you know, what is the one thing? Why do we teach? It's to present this God we worship, this yeah, triune yeah, right. God we worship. And you can't get any more clearer indication of that than verses 5 and 6. Hmm. And all of our suffering. What is our response? Just to give up, just to get anger and turn and walk away from God? It's okay to be upset. It's okay to shake your fist at God. But in the end, he's still God. Mm. You know, and and notice he's not saying you're sometimes love. It's your steadfast or your faithful love that's that's, my heart will rejoice in your salvation. Yeah. 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 So good. Well, you guys want to close it out? Sure. The spin of the wheel. Sounds good. Let's see how, how we would teach. How you? I'm not going to answer this question. <laughs> how you would teach? Maybe this will go a little bit broader. It doesn't necessarily be this passage. But how would you teach poetry to this specific age group? The senior, like senior adult class. Ah, uh, I do that every week. So, <laughs> so tell me what you do. <laughs> I typically start with the first verse and walk through, and once we've read through it, then I go back and begin to to you know break it down into its segment. I do the structure thing we yeah. talked about earlier, and I get them. I stop and I say, "What's the point? Mm. Where do you find the point? Because it's mm. here somewhere. Mm. What's the point?" Yeah. And it's fun to watch them work back and forth through it, um, and you know. Here's here's they always say is that right? Mm. Always always somebody's gonna mm. say I think it's this is that right? Mm. What do you think? Mm. And they're mad they're they, they, they get frustrated because <laughs> I want to know what's right. And I said look I'm no relativist this is you know I'm I'm yeah. no relativist but I would rather you take a chance yeah. and make a get and and work towards you think is an answer and be wrong. Then just sit back and passively wait for me to tell you what the answer mm. is. Right, right. Because it's it's in the the wrestling with it that the learning takes place. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing just about poetry specifically, and really these lament kind of poems, even beyond that, is I think I think that one of the things I've done a few times that I really like 
I, can't, I was trying to remember if I've ever done this with senior adults, mm -hmm. and I don't remember doing it with senior adults. But but one of the things that I've done that I think would work really well with senior adults is to work through the passage where you get a deep understanding of it, so that they're you're paying attention to it, and then rather than sort of moving on to application. To go back and say, okay, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to close your eyes and hear this passage like it's the first time you've heard it. Mm -hmm. And then slowly with lots of emotion, read through the passage. A couple of times when I've done that, you know, I've done it in sermons too, and a couple of times when I've done that, that, that people will have their eyes closed and it's like they open their eyes and start wiping tears away because the emotion mm. starts to get with them, especially yeah. if they mm. if they found ways to sort of identify with, you know, what it's like to to feel like that God is hidden, or what it's yeah. like to feel like that I'm, I'm I'm completely separated, or that I'll never be able to overcome this, or death is the only thing that'll set me free from this. Yeah. That if they've experienced things like that, then to really hear the psalm. After after a richness of understanding to hear the psalm um, can can just bring people to a place of identification with it that I think is pretty rich. It yeah. reaches that affective level of learning. Exactly. It's huge. If people can get emotionally involved and engaged with 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 something that is a fact, mm -hmm. or you know at least get enough of it to understand, oh, this is. You know, they can see the majesty. And yeah, there's something. There's a change that takes place in their. I love that the Bible dude is talking educational theory here. That's awesome. <laughs> that's good. I think that's a good challenge for, for listeners for this week. Prepare your lesson, but read that passage you're teaching like it's the first time you've read it. And kind read of put it, it away. And read it in multiple translations. Read it multiple times. Um, get familiar with it and just get intimately familiar with it. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Thank you guys so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.